0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors Podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and today we're going to be talking about ice fishing, and we're going to offer a little bit of a blast from the past today. So, last year we had a virtual ice series where we were joined by Matt Johnson of the Clam Ice Team, our pro staff Jason Mitchell, and Sam Sobey, where they offered a ton of great ice fishing information. So, We're just going to take a couple bits and pieces from this one, but we want to let you guys know that the full segments are on episode 21 and 22, so make sure to go back and check those out if you want a ton of great ice fishing information.
1: Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions.
2: All right, I'm going to combine two questions here with one. Um, this one's talking about for most of your jigging with any bait, do you use just minnow heads? Do you use the full grub? Do you use a full minnow? And I'm going to kind of tie that into with the tika minnow. Um, the tika minnow question was, do you tip it with bait? So double face question. I, I know, Matt, you got a tikka minnow in front of you, I think.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I was uh, tempted to eat it just here on camera. <laughs> um, I fish it without bait a lot of times, and, and I'm generally not a big bait angler. I'm using plastics if I'm pan fishing or silkies and tikka minnows and spoons if I'm walleye fishing. And, you know, this type of bait, I think, can get that impulse strike. You can work it in a manner to where walleyes want to come in and they want to crush it. You know, no, I'm not saying you're not going to have those days where— you know, your Vexilar is your mood indicator. When a fish comes up and they stop and put the brakes on and you watch that mark change, you may have to entice them with a piece of meat. But I'm always starting uh, any application, whether it's a ticamino, a spoon, uh, a plastic for a panfish, without bait. And I'm trying to get that aggressive fish out of the school, and then I let how that school dictate the bite future. So I'd say I'm usually fishing without bait. Getting after it, I'm pretty aggressive on how I fish. I want that active fish out of the school, and then I let's then I see what uh, what the fish do from there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think it depends on where you're at as far as when you're looking for fish. For example, you're just trying to cover a lot of water. Uh, not only are you making moves to cover that water, but you're also fishing so that you can cover water by pulling fish into you from further away. Okay, and so a lot of times. Um, when I'm looking for fish, I'm fishing aggressively, not just with my rod cadence as far as the stroke, but also you know, going from hole to hole, spacing my holes apart. And I just wanna find signs of life. I wanna mark fish. I want something to stop me or slow me down. And what I find is when I'm the first person on those spots, when you're looking for fish and you're fishing new water and you're the first people, you know, first auger to drill over the top of those fish, you're going to get a few fish that meet you halfway that are just going to make you look good no matter what you do okay and when you can fish aggressively say when you can rip that uh lure and then rip it again and then a fish shows up and then bring it up six inches and bring it up another six inches and by the time it gets you just boom you know the rock tip just loads up you don't need bait on that type of a bite that that you know just it, it, when you get that acceleration you get that fish to rise in the water column By the time they get to you, they're so wound up that they just eat it, okay? Now, after you wear out your welcome, you catch those easy fish, you catch those fish that make you look good. Well, guess what? If you're going to stay in that same spot and pick over what's left, you might have to bob that treble hook. You might have to slow it down. You might get that fish to raise hard and then stall, and you might get them three inches in their nose to nose with it. And you know what? It's like I can't catch fish on a slip bobber without live bait, Right. In the summer, we all know that gulp works. We all know that soft plastics work or whatever. But if I were to take a gulp crawler and put it on a slip bobber and let it sit there, I wouldn't have very good confidence. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's the way to think about it is when you have to get more passive, more subtle because of those fish that aren't wound up, that's when the bait stuff starts taking over. And so it's a progression. You start out maybe no bait. You catch those fish or you, or you find the fish with no bait by fishing that way. And then you wear it, you're welcome. And then to catch a few more, you might have to have a minnow head. And guess what? You get to where you can't get fish to lift on that anymore and pretty soon you're, you know, you're getting some on a dead stick. And so that's kind of the progression, the spectrum from aggressive to passive, if that makes any sense. Very good.
2: When you're looking at the, the contour mass, what are you guys looking for on new body water? If I was to say, hey, the Sandhills in Nebraska got this really hot, you know, farm pond going on. You got to go knock on this person's door, but they're going to let you in there. It has been grafted, you know, 15 years ago. What do you guys look for on those?
0: I mean, I look at
3: I look for changes in contour. And sometimes some of the things that are the most abrupt to you, there's fish on them. I think sometimes we overthink this way too much. We think we got to go someplace completely different, change the game. But sometimes looking at the most obvious piece of structure, if I'm looking at my Navionics app on my phone or whatever, if my GPS on my quad, and I'll look for differences in sometimes subtle changes. If you're fishing a farm pond, like you said, in Nebraska, Sometimes a two foot divot makes all the difference in the world. Something yeah. to stop that fish because what happens is, you know, those depth ranges not only do the fish hold to them, but they hold them because the sediment's different. There might be an insect bloom at nine feet instead of seven feet. And we've seen it so many times where I'm catching fish in one spot, my buddy's 10 yards away, not catching nothing. And the differences could be in depth. So I'm looking at that sort of stuff. You know, I'm doing, I'm really doing my research. Jason made a great point earlier in this presentation about going to your DNR website Mm -hmm. and doing the research. If I want to catch bluegills, I want to go to a lake that's got good bluegills in it. So if I can take away some of that guesswork ahead of time by checking out the DNR website and looking at the gill nets and some of those things, some of the research that they've done, I can alleviate that, that right away. And biggest thing too is doing your homework the day before you hit the ice. I mean, I'm not telling anybody to go back to school by any means, well, some of us have done enough of that, but you can plan your day of fishing before you hit the ice the worst thing you want to do is pull up to the edge of that ice uh, and look out there and go what am I gonna to do today uh, where should I start oh boy I mean I better do that stuff the night before and we have these tools in our literally in our pockets you know I have one in my pocket right now called a cell phone uh, where I can literally sit and look at that app the night before Jason and I can sit down over a burger uh, the night before we go fishing or even that morning at, at you know when we're when we're talking and do the homework, do the research, and hit the ice, and be ready and prepared. That's something I think too many anglers do not do. They go out there to look at the big group of fish houses, and they go, I'm going to go by them. They must be catching them. But I'm telling you, as a guide in the metro area of Minnesota, that's never where the best fish are. That's never where the biggest fish are. And if you're going to sit and put by those people, you better be ready to catch fish at windows of time, and that's it. Otherwise, you're staring at your Vexlar. Get off the beaten path, do it on your own, and don't be afraid to cut holes auger they're efficient nowadays don't be afraid to cut holes don't be complacent you wouldn't throw an anchor uh on the, in the boat and make the same cast 400 times in a row for five hours why would you do it through the ice so yep. mobility get up after it and chase them down
2: what are you guys ice tactics for walleye and we'll just well, talk about the upper midwest
1: well, yeah i'll start i i think no matter what time of year be the hunter and be the first person to find fish okay uh, it doesn't matter what time of year, they're a lot easier to catch when uh, you're the first person out, okay? By the time a crowd gathers, the bite's over, okay? By the time you see 10 pickups idling over seven feet of water on a great walleye bite where they bit last week, I can guarantee you they're not going to bite this week, okay? And so don't chase reports. Uh, find fish, you know, you're going to strike out at times. You know, you're going to, you know, check some spots that disappoint you, but, you uh, to get up to get the best fishing, you got to be the hunter. You got to be the first person on spots. I, I I can't stress that enough, and so that that has to be your overall theme. And then just trying to stay one step ahead of it. Like right now, we're catching a lot of fish shallow along shoreline structure, shallow structure, whether it's flooded roadbeds, shorelines that have some hard bottom, basically the old the old shoreline when the lakes were lower, and it's five, six, seven feet of water that gradient and. You know what, we catch fish for two, three, four days, and we start to wear out our welcome. It gets tougher, and then people gather, you know, people figure it out. There's other people around, and the bite just goes downhill. And, well, you know what, you got to be on the new spot. So what i am going to do? I'm going to try to find other spots that are like that, but in different parts of the lake that just people haven't got to yet or haven't figured out how to reach because there's a pressure ridge, and you got to get around the pressure ridge. And, you know, so you just try to stay one step ahead of people. And then we'll be out on the main lake more where, you know, we'll be, say we're, we're catching them on a point and it's 15 feet of water and it's rock. And then that spot gets beat up and you try to get to the next thing, you know, and, and uh, you're just trying to stay one step ahead just be the hunter, be the person looking and drilling holes and looking for fish. Uh, the fewer the people, the better. If I can get to a part of the lake and I know there's five or six good spots in that area and there's no tracks, I'm excited. You know, I mean, I, you know, I can't stress how important that is. That's, it's simple, but it's it just I don't know if people. Some people don't have confidence in their abilities, or they you know so they just want to. I even have friends that were like that. You know that you go out fishing summer or winter. Oh, have you ever caught them here before? No, I've never even seen this place before. Isn't this awesome? They want to turn around and go home. You know, like they're wasting their day. And they don't fish unless there's a fishing report. You know, you got to just tune that out. You just got to go fish and you got to look for fish. And mm-hmm. if you do that and just get that's your habit, and that's what you do, you'll be the person that everybody's following.
2: Are there any behaviors of the fish that you need to change bait so you know you're you're marking fish or following they they drop back down you know you change your bait they mark they drop back down what are you guys what are your recommendations in that situation i mean we're you, you switch to a finesse sure. bait Do you need to go to a larger profile dead stick
3: yep no yeah there's we encounter those situations i'd say almost every day when we ice fish and you know, like I said, your vexler is going to be your mood indicator. I live and die by how fish react to what I'm doing. And all cadences have their own outcome. So when I get fish that come in fast and put the brakes on, they don't bite, what that tells me oftentimes is I'm doing something that they like. They're coming in quick. They're investigating. And when they get close enough, there's something that's turning them off. I think oftentimes a lot of anglers stop the bait too much. Uh, they, they're working the cadence, they're working a fish in, the fish comes in, it gets close to the bait and they stop. That's in my opinion, oftentimes one of the worst things you can do. And I'm not saying you need to continue to work a bait hard, but keep moving it, keep shaking it. Don't let that fish get right in and get sights on that bait. So for one, it's oftentimes before I switch what I'm doing in terms of a presentation, I'll switch up my cadence. And by cadence, I mean my jigging action, how I'm working the bait. I think oftentimes we can change how we fish the bait before we have to change what the bait is. And if I have to downsize, I downsize. A lot of times I'll take my plastic and take a piece off. If I get light-biting fish, you know, but watch what they're doing. If they come in really slow on the Vexlar, and, I mean, you can just see them methodically roll in, you know, you, you're dealing with a, a neutral to negative fish to begin with. Uh, Then you got to really fine tune your approach, but if I got a fish that comes in hot and stalls out and stops, something you did to seal the deal wasn't right. Uh, I oftentimes, or I fish, I'm the type of angler that I'm upsizing even during negative bites. I'm going bigger. I want that fish to take that bait when it comes in off a reaction strike. I'm not the type of angler oftentimes that's going to sit there holding my hand as slow as I can to finesse that fish to bite. I'll move to a new spot or I'll switch holes. I'll drop down and get that first fish to bite. Uh, So I think oftentimes it's what we're doing that can change the bite versus, oh, in my box of jigs, what do I tie on next? So change your cadence first before you switch to something else. That'd be my advice.
2: Hey Sam, when you're out night fishing, what are some of the things that you kind of focus in on? You know, what are some tips that you can give a person that just no clue?
4: Oh, man. Well, first off, the glow jig, definitely. And I don't know why. It seems like night fishing, you're more—it's easier to just kind of flip up a shack, put a heater up, and sit right there. But I'd tell you, definitely hole hop at night. Definitely hole hop at night. It doesn't matter if you're you're sitting for walleyes on, like, a big rock point or if you're fishing a weed edge. Like, definitely consider hole hopping, even though it's a little bit colder and it's a little bit harder to get out of the shack. Mm Mm-hmm night fishing can be an awesome opportunity to catch fish that don't come out during the day and and some really big fish too
2: so with your the the ice jig or glide jig or whatever you guys are are fishing rattle bait what do you look for at night then i mean are you looking for something that's going to be more subtle something that's going to put out some vibration noise
4: it it all like it depends upon i feel like if it's a Body, body of water, I want a little bit bigger profile jig, something that glows a lot. But if it's a really clear body of water, then I'll kind of, I'll tone it back. I'll get really finesse and um, I'll, I'll take plastics. I'll cut them up. I'll glow the plastics. Just, it seems like, just play with your bait size. If it seems like you're getting marks that come in or if you're getting fish that aren't willing to eat.
2: All right. Next question is inline versus spinning for the reels. When do you guys like them? When do you not like them?
4: Go ahead the start, Sam. Sure. Um, so I use both. And I love my inline reels. I have like, I probably have inline reels. These like clam spooler elites that I've had for I don't know six years, and they haven't broke on me. And I'm I'm pretty hard on my gear. If I'm fishing shallow water, especially panfish, I love the inline reels because there's there's no click open the bail type deal. It's just you rip that out really quick. Your line doesn't get full of memory. It doesn't spin around and stuff like that. So it's if you're fishing shallow panfish, inline reels 100%. But if you're fishing deep walleye, deep lake trout it's nice to put that bail open and it goes all the way down and then you have a better drag system with spinning rails too so uh, it's just it's about what you're fishing for and kind of how you're fishing but yeah. I, I use both hundred percent
1: yeah I mean both have an application I in my mind the inline rails are really shiny you know obviously two three one pound test on really really tough bikes where you almost have to dead stick it and hardly do anything with the, with the rod and uh, you, you know I still think that a lot of people would probably catch more fish at a spinning reel, because consider this, you know, a lot of times your fish come in windows where 90% of your fish are caught in 10% windows, and it's a matter of getting up and down as fast as you can. I still feel like I can do that a lot quicker with a spinning reel, walleye fishing, spinning reel all the way. Um, in some ways, there's a lot of bad information out there in my mind, because every reel is going to develop line twists, okay? The fact that an inline reel doesn't ever twist up or spin the line is a fallacy. I think what you have to look at it as, is it's a line management system, okay, where when you put new line on a spinning reel, and I and I pound that jig pretty aggressively and pretty hard, okay. And when you're reeling up a bluegill that fights in a circle every time you reel it up, you're building up twist in the line. But on a spinning reel, you might get say two, three days out of your line, and you know your line at that point is junk. It starts to wrap up on the twi- tip from the twist. Uh, when you put your jig in the water, you have a really fast spin, okay. Your line is jacked up, and the only way to take that, the only way to catch fish at that point is a really hard quiver or a really aggressive pounding movements, okay, and when you can't catch fish on that, you're, you know, there's nothing else you can do, because if you slow down and try to bob it, that that twist is going to, you just don't catch, they don't bite that, okay, and on an inline reel or a spooler type reel, instead of getting, say, two to three days out of line before you have to change it, you might get, say, five days, it just extends the lifespan of of that line before it is so twisted up that it isn't catching fish anymore. And I tell you what, I've been on the road before where I say I've been fishing hard for four or five days and haven't had a chance to change line I get to a new lake. And if it's a tougher, like you know, I'm struggling that day and I know exactly why. I get back to the hotel room and change line and I come back up the next day and catch fish with everybody else. I mean, that line, especially with panfish, you know, it's, it is such an integral part of the presentation. It's usually the most important part of your presentation is what you can do with that jig on really soft, slow movements where you're not twisting a half turn's okay, okay. But when it's when it starts to helicopter and spin, you're done. You know, and so uh, that's the way to look at inline versus spinning. Spinning reel, really you got better drag, up and down faster. Walleye fishing, you don't even, you know, and especially lake trout fish, you'd be like showing up to a gunfight with a knife. I mean, you get laughed at if you showed up up in Mani- northern Manitoba with in lane. You know I mean you sure might as well not even go, you know, but uh, uh but for panfish finesse panfish applications you know definitely a
0: tool. You just heard a few great ice fishing tips from Clam Ice team member Matt Johnson, pro staff Jason Mitchell, and the one and only Sam Sobia. Like I mentioned in the introduction, these are just portions of the virtual ice series from last year. And if you want to listen to the whole thing, get some great ice fishing tips, uh, go back and listen to segments 21 and 22. If you guys need anything for the ice season, make sure to stop by your local Shields or visit us online at shields.com. Thanks for listening and best of luck on the ice this season.